the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Antithesis. My name is Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. In Titus 1.9, Paul writes this about the elder. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Here, Paul gives us uh, one of the key portions, key snapshots of his teaching on the character and the work of the elder. The elder has to promote the truth, teach the truth, give instruction and sound doctrine. On the one hand, he has to play offense, if you will. And he also has to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, note what he says, rebuke those who contradict it. He doesn't say rebuke what contradicts sound doctrine. He talks about people, teachers, those who are actively promoting the contradiction of false teaching must be opposed by the elder. This is very important for us because we're in an age when you frequently hear, even in Reformed and so-called gospel-driven circles, that churches want to be known by what they are for rather than what they're against. That's a good instinct. It's good to be known for the gospel and for Jesus Christ. But if you are going to be known for the gospel and Jesus Christ, you also have to give instruction and sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. You can't do half of that mandate. If you're an elder, you're called to do both parts of that mandate. Moving aside to another passage in the New Testament, if you look at 2 Peter 3, 16 to 17, you have Peter saying this about Paul's letters. 2 Peter 3.16, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. I thought of these two passages recently because there was a quotation that appeared on social media from Stephen Furtick in which he said words to the effect that um, following Jesus is not about becoming a new version of yourself. It's about the, the real version of you coming out. I'll quote the direct statement in a few minutes. That quote got a lot of attention on social media, and I added my voice, my humble little voice, <laughs> to the chorus. And there was a serious outcry, and it appears, from what I can tell, and others can tell, that Furtick's social media team, or he himself, I don't know who, deleted that quotation from his Twitter. I don't know if he deleted it elsewhere. But it, it was a quotation that had gotten a lot of play on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and elsewhere. And then it got a serious backlash. And so sometimes people think that if something is deleted, that makes the conversation go away. But I actually think there is a real conversation that we need to have about Furtick. 
Now, the movie American Gospel raised concerns about Furtick, Justin Peters, and others, Costi Hinn, I believe, and some other names out there have given attention to Furtick, and I'm thankful for their effort. But by and large, uh, criticism of of Furtick has not gone mainstream, it, it seems to me. It's been more on the margins, more of people who aren't really paid attention to by the mainstream crowd. And I am no one who anyone should pay any attention to, but as a professor of theology, I actually think it is needful that we give attention to Furtick. Furtick is a very popular teacher. He reaches uh, way, way more people than, than I do on a weekly basis. Hundreds of thousands and millions of people, I would say weekly, tune into him, pay attention to him, follow him on social media, watch his stuff on YouTube. He is a fantastically influential figure today. Um, he is, when you listen to him or watch his sermons on YouTube, he is um, ob- obviously gifted. He, um, he he has a real command presence, as they say in the military. Uh, he has a strong voice. He has a quick and nimble mind. Uh, he's very gifted with speech, with with clever phrases and so on. And so it's evident in watching him why people would want to tune in and, and track with him. And furthermore, he presents himself as a spiritual teacher, as a, a teacher of the word. Uh, and so lots of people want spiritual help. Lots of people want spiritual uplift. Lots of, pe- lots of people want God to bless their life in different forms. And so, again, it makes sense that people would follow him in all sorts of natural reasons. But here's one of the major things we need to say about Furtick. He has an established track record of false teaching. And here I'm not talking about uh, a fellow brother in Christ who once in a while says something that is not ideal in a lecture or a sermon. That happens to all of us. None of us is a perfect teacher, myself included. I'm talking with Furtick about a track record of statements and teachings that are not just problematic, but are false. So let me just walk through those quickly, and then I'm going to take you to his most recent sermon entitled, Yes, You, and I'm going to talk uh, about that sermon in particular. But in general, what you should know about Furtick, if you're questioning already uh, the premise of this podcast, this episode, is, is it even worth paying attention to Furtick? Isn't he doing a ton of spiritual good? Aren't lots of people getting evangelized and discipled in the Christian faith? Why would you throw arrows at him? I, I got some of that response on my social media, and, and those are fair questions and, and fair assertions, so let's handle them. Furtick has said, I am God Almighty from his pulpit. Now, many people have noted that this may well be his little God theology coming out uh, associated with certain sectors of the prosperity gospel and charismatic world. He has said, I am God Almighty from his pulpit. And part of the part of the confusion around Furtick, by the way, is that he's he's very clever. So he'll say things, but then he won't say too much. He won't come back and, and talk about it and explain it. And this is a, a key distinction to observe between true teachers and false teachers. True teachers are not perfect. Uh, we're not puffed up. We're not we're not teachers because uh, of our own inherent greatness. It's only God's grace that makes you a teacher of the word of God, a preacher of the word of God. But if you do err and you are in true Christian ministry, not not ersatz Christian ministry, true Christian ministry, what you do is you come along behind that and y- you articulate how you have erred. We all err. We all stumble in many ways. And so as teachers, if we mess up, if we say something that really is not good, then we come behind and we help the sheep understand what we actually meant. And, and we clarify, and we should, honestly, at some level, confess and repent. 
uh, in, in that instance. Furtick has also said that God is a molecular structure. He said this not long ago. He said that God is energy. This is directly a contradiction of what the scripture teaches. God is not at all a molecular structure. This is false. This is false teaching about the very nature and identity of God. God is a spirit. God is not a molecular structure. Furtick seems to be verging into panentheism or pantheism uh, with this statement. You can look it up and, and track it after the podcast if you'd like to. But um, that is a very dangerous statement. It's not just dangerous, it's wrong. Uh, and it, it, it's leading you into, the door is already open into panentheism or pantheism. He has poured praise on T.D. Jakes, a modalist. Furtick has made very clear in public over and over again that he loves T.D. Jakes, that uh, he's learned a ton from T.D. Jakes, that T.D. Jakes is the best preacher uh, living. And T.D. Jakes is a modalist who believes that God the Father, Son, and Spirit do not uh, exist at the same time, but that rather there is one God, one divine person who changes forms. And Furtick himself has said in his sermons that God changed forms. Uh, the Father changed forms to the Son. The Son changed forms to the Spirit. Again, you have to hunt to find it, and it doesn't get a lot of elaboration in some of uh, Furtick's material. But Furtick has said it. He has said it in public. Uh, if you are a false teacher, you will let slip your views. You can't help it. And he has. It is not appropriate to say that God changed forms. It's not just not appropriate. I sound like a second grade teacher. It is, it is biblically wrong to praise a modalist like T.D. Jakes and then you yourself to say God changed forms. That's not accurate. Furtick, furthermore, has staged people responding to his messages. Documents leaked several years ago that showed that at the conclusion of a service, Furtick and his team, his pastoral team, had lined up people responding to his message, bounding forward effectively uh, to, to lead the way and set a tone, <clears throat> excuse me, of response to his preaching. So Furtick has regularly staged people responding. Think about the narcissism of that action. Think about how you are staging a response to the word of God, uh, which must never be done. This is, this is what Stephen Furtick has done in days past. Furtick has um, a practice of preaching and taking texts and executing what uh, others have called narcissus on them. In other words, taking a text, uh, taking Joshua, taking David, and making it all about us. Now, it is not wrong to find uh, a model and an example in a David or a Joshua or something like that in Scripture, but it is wrong to remove texts and figures from their immediate narratival or biblical context and then also to not see them canonically. The focus of the biblical narrative is not how you and I are just like Old Testament figures, for example, as they're courageous. The focus is ultimately on how all uh, all those figures terminate in the line of Christ. Christ is is the one to whom all the types and all the all the righteous people in the Old Testament point. But Furtick does something subtle, uh, but deadly. He makes texts about us. He shows that he is not truly an expositor or an exegete, but really a life coach or a motivational speaker, and a very very dangerous one. These tendencies showed up in a recent sermon entitled "Yes, You." Yes, you. There are a number of problems that surface when you listen to the entirety of this sermon. And I want to walk through several, and then I will dive into the main problem of the sermon. But here are some problematic elements of this sermon entitled, 
Yes, you. You can find it online. It's not been taken offline, to my knowledge, at the time of this podcast. Uh, at the end of October 2021, it is not offline. It is out there, even though that that comment that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast has been removed in certain places from social media. The line that Furtick stated that was then requoted, reappropriated for social media is still there. First, Furtick mocks different pious practices. It was very interesting, by the way, for me to listen to the sermon in entirety. I don't listen to a lot of Furtick, but uh, in doing so, you find some true statements. You find some murky and unclear statements and troubling realities. And then you find some very bad and flatly unbiblical statements and elements. So you don't find only one of those three, in my experience, you find a blend of them. And there's a kind of continuous cycle of things where you think, well, okay, that sounds right. But then you hear something that is very troubling uh, or murky or unclear. And then you hear something that is just flat out unbiblical and denying biblical truth. So let's walk through uh, just, just a few of these. He mocks different pious practices first. He mocks at the one minute mark. I'll, I'll give you timestamps. You can go and find the sermon. You check it out for yourself. You track this. He mocks the blessing of French fries to the nourishment of my body. He, um, he asks a person on stage who is, I think, singing uh, in worship, musical worship. Apparently, his wife is on stage, this man with him, y'all sharing a bunk in front of everybody. Furtick has a focus on the flesh and a focus on sex. At the seven-minute mark, he says in public that his wife is kind of sexy. He repeats that. So we have a focus here of a man who is in his public platform saying things that are basically inappropriate. They're, they're not things that a preacher should, sh- should say. And he's mocking, as I said, praying, thanking God uh, for French fries. At, at the 19-minute mark, he mocks those who pray with reverent tone and speech. He critiques those who use theist and thouist, he says. Uh, and so he mocks those who are apparently attempting to be reverent in their in their speech. At the 34 uh, minute mark and 25 seconds, he says that John, the biblical uh, uh, gospel of John writer, is kind of creepy. That's a direct quote. He's kind of creepy. He calls himself the one Jesus loved. John is not creepy. This is me talking. John is not creepy at all. John is representing his relationship with Christ accurately. He was especially close to Jesus. And it is frankly creepy to mock John, it is more than creepy. It is, it is dishonoring. It's really blasphemous. Second problem with this sermon that I, I picked up in, in listening to it closely. Furtick has God speaking to people directly. He says after his sermon at the 11 minute mark, there's a word after the word. So you hear Furtick preach uh, according to him, and then a word comes after the word. So he clearly believes in a kind of uh, 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 direct word, direct revelation of God uh, to us. Third, Furtick is quite frankly mean to people. Uh, I didn't expect to hear this. I thought coming in that I would be hearing the usual flattery that false teachers slather over their audiences. But at the 11 minute mark, he says this, be careful who you go to lunch with because they'll be saying something so stupid. Well, this statement, like other statements, the the blessing of the French fries, I suppose, could have an element of truth. Uh, people do say uh, things that are that are not sound, of course, but this is just a mean way of talking. It's very strange. Um, he seems to not like people. He actually talks about that toward the end of his sermon, and uh, it, it it's not it's not the attitude you expect of a pastor, frankly. 
He, he fourthly assumes that his people are worldly, quite worldly. At the 25-minute mark, 40, 45 seconds, he is apparently engaging somebody in the audience who has a smartphone. He tells them to pull up their smartphone, and he says, you got Delilah in there who will cut your hair, leave you shaking and blind. It's true that many of us know somebody who is not um, seeking the Lord in their life, but Furtick assumes throughout his sermon that his people are, frankly, quite worldly, not just battling sin. Of course, we all battle sin. Every Christian does. Every Christian has much to confess uh, in a given period of time. Choose it. But Furtick is assuming it seems that his people are right on the verge at all times of shipwrecking whatever faith they have. Next, Furtick is an avowed egalitarian. He makes that very clear. At the five-minute mark, he speaks of his wife, Holly, preaching. In fact, the title, Yes, You, comes from, as he says, uh, a sermon she apparently preached some time ago. So Furtick is an avowed egalitarian. He's totally for his wife preaching. He celebrates it. He says at one point that his daughter may very well uh, enter the ministry or become president. Next problem, Furtick regularly asks for clapping and response. He, he demands, not too strong a word, that the people respond to him. And he chastises his audience when they don't respond as he likes. Uh, at the 14 minute mark, 50 seconds, he claps his hands. He loves to do that. And he says, y'all weren't ready for me today. And he, sh- he does this weird shriek out loud. At the 24 minute mark and 20 seconds, he says, you haven't met you yet. And, and he's waiting for a strong response from the crowd. And then he says, no, 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 that's not a golf clap line. So in a kind of Jeb Bush way, frankly, that's very odd to hear. And in a way that a preacher should never, ever do. Really, uh, anybody who teaches or preaches or has a public uh, communicative program in any form, you should never ask people to clap for you. And you certainly should never chastise them for not clapping. Uh, not responding the way you want. That's, that, is an, that is a very troubling practice on the part of somebody who calls himself a pastor to demand uh, clapping and response, to chastise people when they don't respond the way you want. All this, though, is just prologue because Furtick, Furtick's sermon has a much bigger problem even than what I've already been talking about. At the 11-minute mark and 39 seconds, roughly, all these timestamps are approximate, he says this, the process of discipleship is not God changing you into something else. It's God revealing, and he claps his hands, clap, 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 who you've been all along. The process of discipleship, this is what was quoted online, is not God changing you into something else. It's God revealing who you've been all along. Now, this is confusing because at the 39-minute mark and 10 seconds, Furtick says, I'm a sinful man, yeah, but you are also the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What happened on that cross was more than a physical act. It was a new name. You should understand that I, Owen Strand, am not trying to be unfair to Furtick. Here I am presenting the strongest side the other way. He, he talks, he even uses the language of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he, and he connects that to the cross. Now, he doesn't spell out how all this works, how it is that regeneration works, conversion works, saving faith works, justification. He doesn't spell that out. He, he doesn't stretch it out. He doesn't expand it. He doesn't do what a sound teacher does and articulate and substantiate 
how these wondrous realities that he's at least touching on occur. He says uh, in a few places, he also uses the language of being saved later in the sermon. He says in a few places things that, that sound evangelicals would affirm. He does. But he doesn't, he doesn't expand upon them. He doesn't let them play. He doesn't articulate them in this sermon. And those statements that seem solid are counterbalanced by Furtick actively, by his own volition, no one forcing him to do this, saying, the process of discipleship is not God changing you into something else. I cannot tell you how wrong that statement is. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul says that we are a new creation. It's the complete, and I do mean complete opposite of what Furtick has said at the 11 minute, 39 second mark. The process of discipleship is precisely God changing you into something else. Ephesians 3 mentions, makes clear that we are children of wrath before our conversion. We, we don't just need to shift identities, you understand? We need to be converted. We need to be born again. We need to be made new. We need to become a new creation. We need to be changed into something else. In fact, if you wanted a phrase to sum up all the ordo salutis, all the soteriology of Scripture, of the New Testament, that would be a fairly good basic speech candidate. God changes you into something else. That's what he does in salvation. That is exactly what discipleship is. Discipleship, meaning becoming a Christian and then growing as a Christian, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, is being made a disciple by God's grace, baptized, and being taught to observe all that Christ has commanded. It's you crossing over from death to life. It's you being a child of wrath, Ephesians 3, deserving eternal condemnation, being headed to hell for all eternity to drink the the just wrath of God for your sin. And then God, and God alone in his magnificent grace, reaching into your life as he has predestined before the foundation of the earth, the Father setting all this up in his perfect plan, according to his perfect will, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, eventuating in you and me, vessels of wrath, being saved, being one to Christ, being given the gift of justifying faith by the grace of God, such that we trust the blood of Christ for our washing and the resurrection of Christ for our resurrection to eternal life. God changes us into something else. But Furtick's focus in his sermon, in this sermon I'm talking about, is not on spiritual change. It's not certainly on conviction unto redemption. Actually, Furtick spends a lot of time, strangely, uh, by by my lights, talking about self-awareness. At the 23-minute, 40-second mark, he starts talking about self-awareness, and he says this, self-awareness will tell you all about your proclivities, your past, your background, whichever way you lean. Self-awareness is an awesome baseline so you can know where you're starting. 
He says more before that, more after that about self-awareness. Let me just, let me just deal with this for a second. It is true that all of us should be self-aware, understood rightly. We do want to gain the knowledge of ourselves, our weaknesses, our tendencies, our frailties, our strengths. But the Bible's focus is not at all on self-awareness. The Bible's focus, said most accurately in Scripture, is on spiritual awareness. Spiritual awareness includes comprehensive knowledge of who you are. In other words, when God convicts you of your sin, God puts you in right perspective. God exposes you. God exposes me. He shows us who we are. And and the knowledge of who we are that is revealed by holding up the mirror of the word to our hearts prepares us in the grace of God, if the spirit is working in our heart, to see that we have nothing in ourselves. We are bankrupt. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot redeem ourselves. We cannot improve ourselves. Instead, all we can do is trust Christ by faith. That is truly what we need in every dimension of our lives. We need Christ. But it's very strange to hear somebody who says he's a preacher talk about extensively from the pulpit, so-called self-awareness. As I say, Furtick talks about it at length. It's not, it, it's not self-awareness you and I need. It's the conviction of sin. It's to, to know how evil we are. It's Romans 3. It's to know that there's no one who does good. It's Isaiah 64. It's to know that even our righteous deeds are filthy rags. And this is what a sound teacher, a sound preacher of the word of God articulates. You, you have a clear outline in sound doctrinal preaching, in biblical preaching, in expository preaching. You have preachers who will regularly, according to the text, the dictates of the text, read canonically, help you understand how you are the problem and Christ is the solution. And they won't touch on that in a quick phrase or a clause, as Furtick does in a few places. They unpack that. They try to be as clear as humanly possible so that their listeners will not misunderstand, will not come away thinking, ah, I need a kind of psychological awareness about myself. I need to motivate myself to become a better person. I need a better way of living. Yeah, I do need to to embrace more of the Peter in me and less of the Simon. You can think all those thoughts and not at all be regenerate, not at all be redeemed. And that is the problem with preaching and teaching of the kind Furtick offers. I think if you come in and you listen to it as a committed Christian who's been well-trained in the scriptures, you can insert what you know about Christian doctrine into a lot of sections in the example of this sermon, Yes, You, by Stephen Furtick. You can fill in the gaps with your own knowledge. If, on the other hand, you're kind of in the middle, you're not a Christian, and you're, not a, an, and you're, you're still an unbeliever, but, but you're, you're, you're sifting these things, I think you can come away very much confused and not at all moved out of your confusion one way or another. In other words, not really convicted to repent, um, but still coming away thinking you have 
maybe you think you're a Christian, let's say in this middle position, thinking that you're fine, thinking that you're good. You just need to, of your own volition, of your own will, be more Peter. And then I think you can come in um, knowing that Stephen Furtick is a very gifted speaker, for example, and you're not a Christian. You're, you're let's say, kind of uh, an Oprah-fied spirituality type of person. Oprah just named Furtick one of her favorite preachers, essentially, or, or speakers. I think you can come in from a, a kind of self-driven spirituality and expressive individualism, expressive individualist perspective, excuse me, and you can hear that totally affirmed, and you're not challenged. And yes, there are a few places where there are some Christian doctrines quickly, quickly mentioned, but you can come out of that message, Furtick's message, the whole of it, it lasts for longer than an hour, and, and you can not at all understand that yes, you're Simon in your sin, and you need to be Peter, and there is a clear way that happens. It is by being born again. This sermon has a few of those elements, but it does not drive the hearer to confession of sin, repentance in the name of Christ, and trust in the converting work of God by his grace. In fact, Furtick is very confusing in this sermon with regard to the old nature. At the 35-minute mark, for example, he says this, if you can find the book that tells me how to always be Peter, will you please autograph it, Jesus? I'm so sick of fake people acting like they're never Simon. Well, we must never, this is me, we must never act like we never sin, but the Bible is the book that tells you how to be holy and godly. That, that is a major part of what scripture is about. Scripture wants us to be driven to be holy like God is holy. Scripture is not indifferent on this count. This is a vital part of the ministry of scripture that you and I would strive to be like Christ. What does 2 Peter 3.14 say? Therefore, beloved, Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent. This is, I am so confused here, honestly. This is the book, the Bible. This is the book that tells you how to be Peter. You won't always live up to God's standard, but the Bible is that book. And this maps with another theme of Furtick that he believes apparently that there is a very serious place for the old man in the Christian life as he understands it. 37 minute mark, 40 seconds, he says, I found out you can have doubt in the car, just don't let it drive. And he made waves some years ago and I responded to him publicly when he said that doubt is not necessarily sinful. In fact, Furtick has basically gone so far as to say it's, it's wrong to think you're going to have this kind of fully intact faith as a Christian, even in the moment of conversion, in the moment of repentance. He was, Furtick rebuked a staff member who said, come basically, in so many words, come forward without any doubts and claim Christ. And Furtick said, you're never going to have that. Now, all of us battle the flesh and battle sinful weakness. We all do. The Bible, though, never enfranchises doubt, never praises doubt, never indicates that we should doubt, never says that we're justified by doubt. We are justified by faith. God is the one who gives us faith. Faith does not come from us. Faith comes from the heavens. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It is the gift of 
God? Do we sin and falter as believers? Are some people in particular prone to doubt? Yes. But you can't have doubt in the car. Doubt is not to be in the car any more than beating your wife is to be in the car, any more than savagely attacking your husband is to be in the car, any more than looking at pornography is to be in the car, any more that committing adultery or wicked sexual acts is to be in the car. It's not just that it can't drive, it's that it's not in the car. But at the 38-minute mark, Furtick says this as well. He's saying that Simon, the, basically the old nature, is still around. He says, you can stay around, Simon, even though we're Peter, but you can't tell me how far to go. You can have a word, Furtick says, but not the last word. You can have a word, but not the last word. This is another one of those jaw-dropping moments. You don't give your old nature any word. You don't say to Simon, you can stay around. Now, please note, part of why this is confusing is because Furtick has basically in this sermon conflated becoming a Christian with Jesus getting in your boat. You'd have to listen to Yes You, this sermon, to really get the full sense. I'll I'll just condense as we wrap up here and say it's a very confusing framework in the sermon because Conversion is not merely getting Jesus getting in the boat. It's God making you new. But Furtick, nonetheless, back to his wording, tells us that Simon, basically the old nature, he doesn't articulate this very clearly, but the old nature can stay around. The old nature cannot stay around. We have died to sin. It has been crucified with Christ, Romans 6. It, furthermore, it doesn't get to have a word. It doesn't get to have any word. It's not just that sin, our sin nature, no longer gets the last word. It's that we are dead to sin. So Furtick in a few places in this sermon makes statements that are not just troubling, but are are dead wrong. Sin gets no word. Now, occasionally, sometimes Christians will sin. And will grant sin standing in their thinking, their acting. Yes, but that's not because the Bible tells us that it can stay around and it can have a word in our ear and our heart. There's more to say on this count, but suffice it to say that in listening to this sermon, I became only more alarmed than I was when I read the statement of Furtick that following Jesus is not God changing you into something else. That is a direct denial of biblical salvation. That is a direct denial of conversion, of repentance, and of transformation that follows from conversion through justifying faith. And in this second place, at the 38-minute mark, Furtick is directly denying what the Bible teaches us about battling the flesh. We don't give Simon, so to speak, any word. We crucify the flesh. We mortify our sin. Colossians 3. And in listening to this sermon, I fear for Stephen Furtick's soul. And I fear for the souls of those who listen to him. 
and those who think that he is a sound teacher. I do not know his heart. I do not know his mind. But I know what he is putting out is false teaching. This is wolfish material. I, I beg you in listening not to come within 50 country miles of Stephen Furtick's ministry, so-called. And I encourage you, in love, to pray for his soul, that he will repent of his false teaching, the, the tenets I covered early in this podcast, and even what I've just referenced more recently from this Yes You sermon. And I encourage you to do your part to warn people off from this wolfish teaching. Let's pray for Furtick. Let's ask God to grant him repentance. Let's remember that the stakes are very high. Let's know that there are false teachers and fierce wolves out there, Acts 20, 29. And it is not unloving to warn people about their teaching. It is fundamentally loving to warn people about their teaching. That is what the elder of the local church and any teacher in the Christian ministry by extension must do, give instruction and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Because you understand, there are people out there. There are the ignorant and the unstable. And they twist things in Scripture, 2 Peter 3.16, to their own destruction. Brothers and sisters, listeners to this very humble little podcast, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.